titled this message, Hello Darkness, My Old Friend. And if you're, uh, if you're over 40, you'll probably get that reference. If you are under 40 and like my kids like to listen to real music from my generation, you'll probably know that uh, as well. It's a Simon and Garfunkel uh, tune. And uh, it's something that I wanted to talk about in the context of what we've been pushing into in terms of We've been talking about this spiritual practice of solitude and silence, getting alone and away with God, to, to hear from God, to connect with God, to recognize, you know, it's one thing to have intellectual understanding of God. It's a totally different thing to actually relate to this living God of the universe. But one of the challenges when we push into that is sometimes when we go into solitude and silence, it seems like all we encounter there is solitude, and silence. And we've talked about these practices or these disciplines as a church, and so often as Christians, those things can become the end, and we can ask people, hey, have you been praying? Have you been in fellowship? Have you been away with the Lord? And if we do that, we like check the box. Yeah, I've done that. But we recognize that the purpose of all this stuff is not so that we practice the discipline or so that we do the thing, the purpose is that we encounter the living God of the universe in doing that thing. We're, we're creating that space where God can meet with us and we can meet with God, whether that's through prayer or whether it's through fellowship and we hear him through the voices of other believers or whether it's silence and solitude and just being still and recognizing that God is God. Yet there's a challenge with that. Imagine you are the spouse of one of the sons of thunder. Your husband is James, right? And you're part of this fledgling new church, and God's doing amazing things through this new church, and the Jews of your town are not real happy about what's happening, and there's a, a political leader that is more concerned about expediency and making sure that his life is smooth and really being concerned about justice, so he arrests some Christians and he realized, wow, that makes these Jewish people really happy. And so your husband is one that he arrests and he kills him with the sword. He's dead, he's gone, right? And then this ruler, Herod, he, he recognizes that, wow, that made these Jews really happy. So I'm gonna arrest some more of these guys and then you're the spouse of Peter, another leader in the church, and and your husband's arrested, and you're like, what in the world? No, what's going to happen? And so I'm sure like with James, the church meets and the church prays. And then all of a sudden, you're in a prayer meeting, and there's a knock on the door, and the woman that's taking care of the place comes up and says, man, it's Peter. He's at the gate. I'm like, no, it can't be Peter. I love that mixture of, yeah, we're praying for his release, and he's here. No, that can't be him. So the recognition that we're all mixtures of faith and doubt, right, but... But Peter actually shows up through this miraculous, God opens the cell, he lets Peter out, and then Peter escapes. And I'm thinking through that, this is all found in Acts 12, and I'm wondering, how in the world does James' wife feel? Especially when James' brother John is probably the apostle that lived the longest. So here we have two sons of thunder, right? And I love it. It's a great biker gang name, you know. These guys are probably strong dudes. They're like, they're people that get things done. And then John is, is one that's given this long life. And 
writes a gospel in the book of Revelation and, and James, his brother, that was tight with Jesus as well is one of the first ones taken out. How, how do you process that? How do you deal with that as the family of James? I read this week, and it's a quote I love, that God is predictably unpredictable. And after he makes his choices and does what he does, then he doesn't really open himself up for interviews and questions as to why he did what he did. And when we find ourselves in one of those tough places where we wanted God to come through, and I'm sure the church was praying for James as well as Peter, and why did God answer the church's prayer about Peter and not about James? And you're wondering and you're thinking, it's like, wow, what? all I'm getting here, I'm not getting anything from you, God. What in the world is going on? And so I wanted to look at this because this is a reality, I think, in many of our lives. We push into Jesus, but then sometimes we... We get struck by this sense of, man, am I all alone here? Does God really even care? It feels like my prayers are just like hitting the ceiling and bouncing back to the floor and I'm looking for God's presence and he just seems totally absent. One of the practices I've been doing recently is to just, when I go to prayer, just set aside the first 10 minutes and just be silent. Just to listen, to calm and quiet my soul before the Lord. And periodically I'll hear something from the Lord, but I was talking to my wife and said, man, oftentimes these times make me feel more like an orphan than a cared child. Because I go there and it just seems like I'm not, I'm not hearing anything. So how do we handle those kind of times? How do we deal with those times when we seem to be pressing into the Lord and, and we're laying it all out there and there's certain things that we think in our life, man, this would be God's will for this person to be released. Why would not God release James? And yet God doesn't act in a way that seems to fit with our plans and we feel abandoned and alone. So how do we spiritually survive in those seasons of life? I want to give some things that, that help me, and if they help you, great. First and most important for me, I needed to recognize that these seasons are a normal part of believers' lives, of believers' lives. If you listen to Christian music, or you hear most Christian preaching, or you go to the Christian section of the bookstore, it doesn't seem like this should be part of the Christian life at all, right? You go pick up the books and it's seven steps to spiritual success. Claim your victory now. Your best life right now. You don't have to wait. It's here. It's now, right? And if you listen to Christian worship, it's all about, yeah, victory and I'm overcoming and, and everything is wonderful in my life because I am trusting Jesus, and the message there is if you just had enough faith and you just had enough trust, then God would come through in that way and your life would be wonderful like mine is. Because I'm living my best life now. I don't know about you. And then you hear something like, well, if you don't feel close to God, guess who moved? And then if you know the Bible a little more, you'll read James and he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And so... 
on top of already feeling kind of distant and isolated and uncared for by God because of what's going down in your life, you get to pile a whole load of guilt on that. Now it's my fault because whatever, I just don't have enough faith or I'm not pushing in to God hard enough. And so this picture of what the Christian life should look like is very different than the actual reality I think most of us encounter as we seek to walk with Jesus in this world. And I want to let you know that the picture that is often presented in the Christian media and in Christian books and in pop Christian music is sometimes very far from being biblical. You read the Psalms. 20 times in the Psalms, the plaintive cry of the psalmist is, how long? Sometimes, how long are you going to forget me forever? That sounds heretical even, right? God doesn't forget. He's all-knowing, right? He's omniscient. And you read the Psalms and you read stuff in there and you're like, what? In, what? How, how did this get in the scriptures? Let me read you a psalm of a guy named He-Man, not a cartoon character, but He-Man the Ezraite. And listen to this, and ask yourself the question, why in the world, in God's sovereign design of his scripture and picking out what psalms were to be in this book of the songs of Israel, does he let this one in the playlist? Oh Lord, this is Psalm 88, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man with no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand." You have put me in the depths of the pit and the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do you do the departed rise up to praise you as your steadfast love declared in the grave your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you in the morning. My prayer comes before you, O Lord. Why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I'm helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me altogether. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. Darkness is my closest friend. Period. The end. No, but I know you're going to show up. It's just that's it. It ends with Simon and Garfunkel, right? Darkness, you are my friend. God, you are nowhere that I can see. You ever been there? If you read through the Psalms, over half of the Psalms are called Psalms of Lament. 
They're psalms of people crying out to God, how long, where are you, what's going on, I can't understand what's happening in my life and put that together with a loving God that you are. How do I put those things together? There's a big buzzword in Christian circles today about deconstruction. A lot of people are deconstructing their faith, right? And I don't find a lot of wonder in that. Because I look at what the faith that's presented to most people. If my Christian life is supposed to be sunny, easy, I'm always supposed to be on top. If I'm trusting Jesus, then life goes well. And I begin to live my life in reality and that doesn't happen. I lose my job. I lose my boyfriend or girlfriend. I get a divorce. Whatever goes on in my life, then how do I put those two things together? And throw into that mix all of the leaders that we have oftentimes elevated so many of those falling and falling big time. Why is the rise and fall of Mars Hill such a popular podcast if you've listened to that? And there's a whole ex-evangelical movement, people that were evangelicals that are, are now bailing out on it because it's just, I'm not seeing the connection here. So if you're there, if you're struggling with how to put that together, I want to let you know that some deconstruction is a good thing. Because all of us were presented with the gospel, with the story of the Christian life, probably by a group of believers. And if it's one thing I know about a group of believers, because I know me, no group of believers is infallible, right? We all make mistakes. So with that presentation of this good gospel comes a bunch of other baggage. And as many people look at the church and they see Christianity associated with a particular political party, whether the hat you wear is red or blue, when it's tied to that and you say, I just don't see that and I can't stomach that, then maybe that's something that needs to be blown up. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And we look out at the church and we're thinking, wow, how are we going to build our kingdom? We're going to build our kingdom by amassing political power. And Jesus says, that's not how I do it. But we look around in the world and we see the church hitching its wagon to a particular political party or particular stance. And we've got to say, no, that is not what Jesus said. So that maybe needs to blow up. Needs to be just deconstructed. Or we see Jesus linked with his prosperity, health, and wealth stuff. And if you follow Jesus, then life will go really, really well for you. And we forget Jesus' words, in this world you will have trouble. And Paul's world, word, if you follow me, you will be persecuted. It'll get difficult. It'll get challenging. So if that's your thinking, then maybe that prosperity thinking needs to blow up and be deconstructed. That's a really good thing and a healthy thing. Or if you see Christians associated with hating a particular group that are not living according to the standards of God's word and hatred and vitriol being poured out of them on those people, you need to recognize what Jesus said was not that. He said, give a loving and gentle and kind answer to those that oppose you. And he said, love your enemies. Don't hate them. So that may need to blow up and be deconstructed. Or if you see Jesus associated with an uptight, narrow, rigid approach to life with all sorts of rules and regulations and no joy, then maybe that needs to blow up as well. 
As we talked about in Sunday school this morning, he's given us all things richly to enjoy. So by all means, deconstruct that stuff. Burn it to the ground. But when you're there, and this is the challenge to you who are out in that position right now, don't stay there. Move to reconstruct based on who Jesus really is and what his word really says. Augustine said something that's been quoted a lot. He says, the church is a whore, but she's my mother. Recognizing that in all of this there is error and truth. That we need to keep the meat and spit out the bones. And part of growing in Christ is recognizing, wow, this part was good and that part doesn't match at all what Scripture says. And I need to spit out those bones. And if I need to deconstruct, then let my goal be to reconstruct based on who Jesus is and what he's called us to be and do. So my plea for you this morning is don't walk away from Jesus. And one of the most tempting places to walk away from Jesus is when he's not coming through in your life in the way that you want him to come through. Because it's so easy to say, forget it, man. This is just way too hard and I don't even feel like God cares right now. But as we read scriptures, as you read Psalm 88, you read that guys like Heman, the Ezraite, was in that same situation sometimes. So, so recognize that this is a normal part of walking with God. There's going to be times in your life where you feel very distant from God. That's, that's just experience. We're broken, we're fallen, we live in a broken and fallen world. So understand that that's a normal part of the Christian life. But what causes these times? Thought of several things. First is our own unconfessed sin. Now the old adage, you know, if you feel distant from God, guess who moved? Sometimes that is true. Right? Psalm 66, 18 says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, you wouldn't have listened. Psalm, or Isaiah 59, 2 says, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. So there are some times where we feel distant from God and that distance is legitimate because we're holding on to something that we will not let go. And this, I don't think, is talking about a struggle with a sin that we fall and we're like, I hate that. It says, if I've cherished sin in my heart, if this thing is more important to me than you, God, right now, then I don't think I can expect to feel the presence of God as I walk through this world. And that's just the reality. I know it's a reality in my life. When I choose something over God, I'm just not going to feel close. If I get in an argument with my wife, and I'm choosing not to reconcile with my wife, there's going to be distance there, right? Whose fault is that? It's mine, right? It usually is mine. I'm just going to own that. But the reality is that there are times in our lives where God puts his finger on something and says, you know what? The reason you're feeling so spiritually dry, so alone, is because of this in your life. Are you willing to give that up? And sometimes we're like, nah, not right now. And we go our way. And God will come back in his grace and his mercy and his kindness and his patience and say, now you're ready? Nope. And then sometimes God turns the heat up a little bit more until we get to that place where we're like, okay, I'm ready. 
We sung, he will hold me fast. I believe strongly that God will hold us fast, but sometimes God gives us a very long leash on which we can get into a whole lot of trouble, ultimately to say, come on back. And so that's one of the reasons why we can feel distant from God in that dark night of the soul, as St. John of the Cross termed it. Another reason is, is just life's troubles. We live in a very broken world. The Christian life is not easy, it's not effortless, it's not without difficulties, even if we have enough faith. Christians, I've buried kids under a year old. Other people get cancer diagnoses. Some people get into financial difficulties. Some people have marriage problems that end in divorce. Some kids go astray. It happens to Christians as well. As I mentioned before, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But the problem is, oftentimes we've been fed a diet of, if I'm only doing what God wants me to do and being a good boy or a good girl, then life should turn out really, really well, right? I'm trusting you, God, I'm going to make flag officer, right? I'm doing all the right things. And God may say, you know, that's not the position that ultimately is going to be best for you. I'm going to have you serve over here for my purpose and my plan. We read that passage, or Stephen did, from, from Romans 8. But in the midst of that, it says, you know, we're, we face death all day long. We're considered sheep to be slaughtered. And, and the point is, like, we, we face all these things, but nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. But it doesn't say we're not going to face any of that. It doesn't say the love of Christ is going to prevent us from all these difficulties. It says nothing will separate us from the love of Christ in the midst of all of these difficulties. But the challenge is when we face that, then it can make God feel very, very distant from our lives. And I think one of the most challenging things is just chronic health stuff. And I look at Job, you know. God allows the evil one to take so much away from Job in the first chapter. He takes his family, his kids away, his prosperity away, all those kind of things. And then the last step, he's like, well, he's still being faithful and okay, let me hit him physically and then he'll curse you. So sometimes when you're facing something and God is not healing, right? And I've seen God heal people, but I've also seen a lot of people that pray just as fervently with just as much faith and God does not heal. And I see this example in Paul where three times he prays, Take this away from me. I do not like this at all. Because I look at my life, this makes me weak. This makes me less effective for the gospel. I can't do as much when I've got this. And what's the Lord's response? Hey friend, my grace, it's sufficient. Because when you walk around with this weakness and when I do great things through you, it will be really evident that I'm doing great things through you. But I don't know about you, but I don't like to feel weak. I like to feel in control. I like to feel I've got this thing down. I've got it nailed. And I personally would rather not have to rely on God in the midst of this. Yet that's a really dangerous place to be spiritually. So life's troubles can leave us in the darkness sometimes. 
But you know what else can leave us spiritually dry and isolated? Life's blessings. Good stuff can leave us in this season of just dryness. And you're like, that doesn't seem logical. It doesn't make sense. Remember Jesus' parable of the soils? You know, he scatters the seed and some of it hits the dirt, never has a chance to germinate. Other stuff hits some really shallow soil, springs up quick, but when persecution and trouble come, that doesn't make it, and we've dealt with that. But then there's another seed that I think is probably many more of us have to face. It grows up, and it says, the concerns of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it out. It's like, what are the concerns of the world? It's like everything. What, just don't, Jesus says, seek first my kingdom and, and all this other stuff. What's the world running after? It's running after money and sex and all those kind of things. That's, that's what I need to be concerned about. That's what consumes me. And the more stuff we have, right? Life is what? Maintenance, right? The more stuff breaks down, the more wealth. I, I'm just going to get to this next level. And I like Chris's Sunday school classes. When you get to that next level, you think it's going to satisfy you. like, no, not that. But it's the next rung on the ladder after that. And some of the most spiritually dry people are those that have reached the top of the ladder and realized, man, that, that, what, it, uh, it's nothing. One of my favorite quotes is from Muhammad Ali. If you don't know who Muhammad Ali, he was a famous fighter back when I was a young boy. My dad went to one of his fights in Madison Square Garden with George Foreman. Um, and he said he can still hear when he was alive the punches being thrown in that ring. But... Ali was tremendously successful, and he said, I've had it all, and it ain't nothing. It ain't nothing. So sometimes when we're pursuing all this stuff in the midst of our busyness in our lives, and Christians can get there too, right? That next step of the ladder, pushing a little harder, success, God wants you to be excellent, right? More, 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 more. And that, all that push just squeezes out spiritual vitality from our lives, and, and we're dry. And we're dry. Tom Brady said something similar on 60 Minutes a while ago, and he, I didn't need to retire, and then I heard he didn't retire. Did he retire? I don't know. But anyhow, seven Super Bowls, all this kind of stuff, and you think, oh, man, this guy has got to be the happiest guy in the world, and he's just like, you know what? It's not that awesome. So even life's blessings can be something that causes a season of dryness and spiritual darkness in our lives. And what else can cause it is, is God's longing to see us grow in trust. And that's a paradox. Because why would this God of the universe who wants us to grow in our relationship with him create this sense of perceived distance in our lives from him? I was talking to Brian Waters this week and you know, we are talking about this child development pattern and kids if you start a child psychology they go through the stage of object permanence right when you're playing with them and then you go like this and they're like where oh you're back and for a stage in kids life if you disappear you cease to exist right there's no more of you right and part of maturity is when you cease to exist they realize oh he's still here that's the whole game of hide and seek right i can't find them but they're still there and I wonder in the Christian life if that's what God is doing as well. The book of Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so 
where are we called to stretch and grow in our faith? We don't walk by faith. We don't walk by sight, but by faith. But I think a lot of us, we can include feelings in that sight word as well. I walk by feelings. If I'm feeling tight with God, then it's good. If I'm not, then... But I think what God wants us to do is to learn to trust him even in the midst of those times where we can't see him and we can't feel him. To recognize that he's still there. And I think this goes on through life, right? Then you get to the separation anxiety stage when you leave your kids at a babysitter. It's like, ah! And you tell them, we're going to come back. I promise we'll come back. And then you come back, and then like they get used to it a little bit. It's like, okay, they did come back. I can trust their word even though I don't see them. And I think that's what God's wanting to build in our lives in these times of darkness. We sang a song this morning that talked about the treasures of darkness. And to me, that's one of those treasures that is developed in the darkness. Vine dressers, people that keep vineyards, oftentimes will say, don't water the vines even in a season of drought. Why? Because it forces the roots to go deep. And it actually produces healthier, better tasting grapes that produce better tasting wine in the end if they're not immediately taken care of in those times. So it's the times of dryness sometimes that cause our roots to go deep. And I've talked to a bunch of Christians and most of them will say the times that their relationship with God has grown the most are some of these, these, these tough times. These times where they keep pushing into God even though they're not feeling it. Just trusting in his word. And then my final reason why these times hit, I have no idea. (laughs) Someone who counts these things counted in the Gospels that Jesus has asked questions, approached with a question 183 times. You know how many times he directly answers that question? Three. (laughs) Three times. Other than that, it's a story, it's a parable, it's like asking a question back. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Why did James get martyred and Peter get released from prison? I have no idea. I don't. Why do certain people get healed and other people have to deal with a chronic illness for the rest of their life? I don't have an answer for that. As a young pastor, I always felt like I had to have an answer for everything. I realized as I've gone through that and fuddled my way through trying to have an answer that there's sometimes I just don't have an answer. I don't know why God would have taken your baby. I have no idea. I don't know. But there's things about the physical realm that I don't understand. There's something quantum physics calls instantaneous non-locality. And what this means is if two subatomic particles meet and collide and they break off and head in two different directions, somehow they've measured this and I have no idea how, don't ask me how, but what one does, the other does instantaneously. It affects it superluminally, faster superluminally, faster than the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, right? You think that's pretty fast? This is like instantaneous no matter where these are. And it's like, okay. How does that work? This is the physical realm that, you know, I'm scratching my head about. So if I think I'm going to understand everything God is doing and all his purposes and his plans in my life and not ever get to that place where, like, God, I just don't understand, 
the end of Romans 11. Your ways are inscrutable and I can't understand them, but you are God. I don't think Job ever knew why he was suffering. He went through all of that, all that struggle. We know what was going on behind the scenes, but Job never knows while he was walking in this world. Sometimes there are no easy answers, and I don't want to pretend that there are. But the challenge at those times is to keep holding on. So how do we handle these dark nights? Well, the first thing is just keep showing up. Show up with brutal honesty. God can handle it. That's one thing the Psalms have told me. Push into God even at these times. There was a movie a while ago, and I can't remember the title of it, of a dog whose owner died, and every day would get off the train or the bus at the particular time, and that dog would just faithfully go back and keep waiting for the owner there. And I think, wow, if that dog has that much, can I have that much faithfulness with God? I'm going to keep showing up with a God that I know is alive, trusting that he will show up. And I also need to learn to wait. James does say draw near to God and he'll draw near to you, but he doesn't give any time frame there. (laughs) He doesn't say draw near to God and in three minutes God's going to show up and draw near to you or maybe it's going to be a prime delivery and it'll be two days, but certainly not more than a week, right? Even if you get regular shipping, it's here in a week. No. If you got your Bibles, turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 50. Because there's a temptation that comes at this stage when we're waiting. Isaiah 50, verse 10 says, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? I hope that's all of us here. Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. So he's talking about someone who fears the Lord, who is listening to the servant of the Lord, Jesus Christ, yet he's still walking in the darkness and has no light. The call there is to trust in the name of the Lord and to rely on God. Trust in the name of the Lord, the character of God, those things that you know to be true about God, even though he doesn't seem to be coming through at a particular moment in your life. Keep hanging on. Keep showing up. But then he says, Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand, you shall lie down in torment. So what is he saying there? There's a temptation when we're in darkness to light our own torch, to do our own thing. I need light in my life. I need meaning. I need purpose. So I'm going to forget God. I'm just going to pursue what is going to make me happy at this moment. And this is what I need. I'm going to light my own light. And what Isaiah is saying, keep hanging on. Keep trusting even though you're in the dark. Because you can trust in the name of God. He may not show up in your timetable. Usually he doesn't. I often say, that God is never late, but he misses a whole lot of opportunities to be early. <laughs> that sometimes waiting is part of the program and the plan. So keep showing up. Keep showing up with honesty. Read some of the Psalms. I mean, they're, they're brutally honest. Like, I've never heard that stuff in church. <laughs> like, How long, God, are you going to forget me forever? Where are you? Darkness, you're my only friend. 
That stuff's at the psalm. That stuff God wanted written in his word. Why? Because going to God with that kind of stuff is still an act of trust. When we're ticked off at God, when we don't know what's going on, keep going to God, and when you do that, that is an act of trust. Why? Because you're saying, God, I know your character and who you are, but I just can't match what's going on in my life right now with that. So when are you going to come through? How do I put these things together? That's not an act of a lack of faith. That's an act of trust crying out at those times. I've heard stories of orphanages and places where there's just no staffing and they just put the kids in cribs. And one person said, I walked in there and the thing that stunned me is it was just silent. And there are all these babies and it's just silent. And like, what in the world is going on? Well, after a prolonged period of crying, babies realize in those situations this doesn't help anything. No one is going to come. So why waste my breath? So when you see in the Psalms the cries, it is a cry out of faith, out of trust. So go to God with what you are. In all honesty, God knows anyhow. It's not like we're hiding stuff from God. It's like, oh, Brett's really ticked off at me, huh? Whoa, he is? No, he knows. At times when God seems silent and distant, keep listening to the written word. This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote. May it not be that God himself sends us these hours of reproof and dryness that we may be brought again to expect everything from his word. Hang on to what is true and in the word of God at these times, even when the feelings and the sense of connection with God doesn't seem to be there. And also, just listen for God at other times when you spend silent time, but then be open to hearing from God at other times, through nature at these times, through a book. But say, God, I want to hear from you. I need to hear from you. And then finally, lean on the faith of others when yours is weak. If it's dark for me, chances are it's not dark for everybody. So at those times, I need to lean heavily on my brothers and sisters who have the faith. Sometimes I don't have the faith to pray. I say, can you pray for this or pray for me here because I'm just not feeling it right now. We struggle with doubt. All of us do. Matthew 28, even after the resurrection, it says some of the disciples were over, just some doubted. Even in the, it's like, really? Jude 22 says, have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy. Not condemnation. But people who are going through a rough time, extend grace and mercy to them in the midst of that and recognize, you know what, sometimes it's really hard to hang on to God in the midst of this broken world and all the brokenness that hits our lives. And so I've got to have people around me that will show me that mercy at that time and say, you know what, Brett, I know you feel totally abandoned and totally alone, but God is, is still here. And if you can't feel, I'm still here with you. Hello, darkness, my old friend. My prayer is that in those times we will push into God and keep pushing into him and that we won't walk away that it will be a season where our trust in God grows. And I've asked various people this week, when, when have been those dark times in your life? And, and almost everybody has them, right? 
But then to go through them and to see what God does and how he's grown us through that is something that's really encouraging. So recognize that when you're in the midst of it, it's not going to last forever. We think it's going to last forever. It feels like it's going to last forever, right? But it's not. And even if death takes us out, it takes us right into the presence of God. Where all these questions we're wrestling with, I don't think we're even going to ask them <laughs> at that point in time. We're going to be so overwhelmed by the presence of God. We're just gonna go, Whatever. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. So recognize that the times will come, but keep listening. Keep pushing into God. It will be worth it in the end. I promise you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for just the brutal honesty of your word and just your awareness of what it's like to be a human. That you yourself cried out and shed tears because you didn't like what the Father was proposing for your life. How much more, Lord, do we who lack understanding of what you're doing in the bigger picture and can't figure it all out, we will have those times too. So Lord, we just ask that by the power and strength of your spirit, you would sustain us during those times. Maybe through a song, it may be through a picture, it may be through something in nature or the words of a friend or the words of your word that come alive to us. So Lord, Hold us fast. Thank you that you do. Thank you that we can count on you and thank you that you promise that nothing will separate us from your love, not even our feelings, that that love is not there. It's in Jesus' powerful and precious name I pray. Amen. Amen.